Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Giles Gale and Jan Navrizi. Before getting into today's discussion, I'd just like to remind you all to hit the like button and don't forget to subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Okay, Jan, we'll start with you this week because we missed you last week uh, and US rates markets, well, like everywhere else, have been very volatile this week. Uh, But since we last spoke to you two weeks ago, I think it was now, you've updated your, um, I guess, assessment of fair value for uh, US Treasury yields, both both at the front end of the curve and further out. So do you want to kind of just quickly talk us through what your latest thinking is uh, for those? Absolutely. So... We had this very uh, bearish stance, particularly in like in the front end belly of the curve where we imagine a flattening would be led. And this is more like a context of our thinking over the past you know, six to nine months where we figured uh, with the Fed coming in more aggressively as inflation proves to be not as transitory as the Fed thinks, uh, they would, the market would have to price in a lot more reaction from the Fed. And that's exactly what happened. We saw uh, kind of like the belly leading the way and forwards repricing very, very high in expectations of a very hawkish Fed. And do we think that's going to happen? Yes. But at this point, a short view really takes a sense of trying to fight that pricing and assume that the Fed is going to go really, really a lot more than kind of like a lot more what's in the market pricing now. And that that seems pretty hard to us. And not only that, if the market is expecting uh, say, a, you know, a series of 50 basis point hikes and the Fed to really uh, step in, tighten to rein in inflation, we think that should lead to, uh, as a next step, being the markets pricing in a cut in the uh, on the curve, uh, lower yields from, call it something like five years on, where as the nature of uh, you know, boom and bust cycles, this looks like a supercharged one. So it would have two-year yields lifting up and then, the five-year point of the curve outperforming yields lower because uh, the markets are going to, they're going to need hard proof to believe that the, the Fed can soft land this. So with that, we are still slightly more bearish on the front end, the two-year point. Uh, the last couple of days, of course, have been really sharp too. So, so that kind of brings us close to our estimates for year end. And for the remainder of the curve, we are more or less in line with forward. So for the first time in a while, we are more neutral treasuries and curve and we're going to be looking for any opportunities to actually start buying into this type of sell-off but that's not a story yet but we are we're going to get to a point as i've been kind of alluding in the last couple of podcasts to in the second half of the year where maybe even steepening comes back into the picture uh particularly if we start seeing in early indications of data maintaining its its robustness with that in mind I just, i'm just going to quickly finish that we took out our uh front-end trade so we had a short August Fed funds view in anticipation that the market could price in uh, a couple of 50 basis point hikes. That's exactly what happened. But now with the market at, uh, at kind of like five hikes by August, we think that's the right amount. They're going to announce quantitative tightening, which could come in as a substitute for rate hike, possibly, maybe not. But on the other hand, we also have a set of uh, data that's coming up. And should the data come weak, then the Fed could decide to maybe, you know, do 25, 50, 50, 50, and then that contract only covers five. So five seems a fair value. We're taking that off. Uh, it worked out pretty well for us, and we're going to be looking to kind of re-enter strategically and well and more tactically as the curve shifts itself over the next couple of days. 
Thanks, Dan, and, and well done on that call. So moving away a little bit just from, from cars for the second and sticking with the Fed, because it's that time of the month again where uh, I get you to talk about payrolls, knowing that uh, the data is probably going to be released before most of our listeners listen to this, unless they're super eager and did as I said at the beginning and have subscribed to the to the uh, episode so they get it in their inbox straight away. But yeah, the likelihood is most people will be listening to this over the weekend, if not later. So we will have that number. But let's talk more broadly, I guess, in the sense of uh, what well, in the context of the Fed. And, and I'm wondering really here what kind of a number you would need to see, do you think, to really shift the needle on that debate of, in terms of kind of 25 versus 50 basis point hikes? And, and how does that fit with our expectations, I guess, also in light of um, today? We're recording this on Wednesday. So today's ADP data that just came out pretty much in line with consensus. So the needle is looking closer to 50 than not, I have to admit. Uh, our in-house forecast is for still 25 base points for the rest of the year uh, uh, per each meeting. So that brings us to seven total at 25 base point increments. But I think the risks are certainly skewed to 50 base points with uncertainty around uh, Ukraine, around China locking down again. Again, inflation prints coming very, very heavy. Uh, and NFPs are also one part of the puzzle. Chair Powell in his press conference was talking about how unemployment's unsustainably low. So at this point, as it's almost kind of in a Machiavellian way that they would rather see unemployment tick a little bit higher because at this point, the growth side of the picture has been confirmed. The full employment mandate has been met and they believe that where we are right now as an economy, the labor market is just too tight and what we're seeing is added wage uh, inflationary pressures there. So they would actually like to see some weaker payroll numbers. They would like to see a little bit higher unemployment compared to where we are. That being said, if we get a strong NFP, uh, that the implication to me is no different than getting a strong inflation number because they know that this has been feeding through into the wage side of the inflation equation. And they do not want to see that. They we have been witnessing a shift from goods into services. Um, this is this would be a large component of that shift of goods inflation to services inflation. And but that was on the flip side, that was also one of the reasons, the NFPs, why we took out our trade, because uh, our economist has two hundred thousand forecasts for the jobs number for this Friday. That's way below the five hundred uh five hundred K consensus. So if we have a weak set of NFPs, and if we have, say, core GDP, oh, sorry, core CPI coming a little bit slower, then the Fed could start asking questions. Maybe we can do QT and 25, and then you know reevaluate after that. So, with that in mind, and with the kind of like the QT in the picture, we figure now is a good time to take off chips. But the NFPs will be important. I'm starting to equate them more to like a similar to like a mini CPI print as opposed to just the jobs number that we should be looking at. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Jan. All right, over to Europe then, a place where uh, we've seen lots of inflation today. Um, but before we get there, I've asked you the same question on this podcast for the last two weeks, and now I'm very excited to ask it. I know that you have an answer. So, Giles, yields have risen again a lot this week. <laughs> we've gone straight through our uh, forecast of 0.5% in 10-year bonds. Uh, you've been saying for a couple of weeks now that you think there's still further to go. How much further is there to go? 
So uh, I'm going to make everyone wait for it with a drum roll. No, the, the answer is not as far as it seemed when I started writing it, um, because we've had such a remarkably volatile time in markets. I mean, it's really been, it's really been incredible, hasn't it? Um, the, the answer to your question, the one that you're looking for, Imogen, is 1% for 10-year bonds, or is the nice round number that we have fixed our sights on for, um, well, basically for this year. Now, at the rate we're going, it sort of feels like we might get there this month. I mean, no, well, not this month, we're on the 30th of March, but you know what I mean, in the, <laughs> in the next few weeks. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, you know, I think that um, you know, abstracting away a little bit from the extreme volatility that we have had and just focusing on what we think matters for the longer term. Now, clearly there are two things that you know, they're in play. One is you know, this higher inflation environment and you know, perhaps to a certain extent concerns about how, how that might sort of morph into concerns about slower growth and therefore lower inflation um, going forward. Okay, so that's the first aspect, so that's the, like, the kind of macro analysis. And that's really what drives, I suppose, your, you know, your background expectation about the the demand schedule that is how willing the you know, the investment community um, in its broadest sense will be to, um, to 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 buy to buy bonds right the other point is that this week the pep ends and we go on to this kind of declining schedule for QE. And we, you know, the pretty strong base case is that we will not have any more net QE by the summer, right? So this is ending pretty quickly. And that's gonna leave a very big gap between supply you know, going forward um, you know, after net taking away the, you know, the, uh, the kind of price insensitive demand of the central bank, and um, and and demand, uh, you know, given where demand was, and obviously we have had already been seeing the transition from you know, pricing in a QE world to pricing in a post QE world, and our judgment is that we probably should be taking to a, into consideration you know, upside risks to around one percent. But I would stress that we see the, the risks around that to the high side in, in yield terms. Um, so supporting that analysis, you know, we've thought very deeply about you know, what banks are doing, what insurance, pensions, fund, pension funds, what the foreign sector is doing. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think you, know, you, can, you, know, you can see all of these guys buying more, obviously, as prices fall, yield go higher. Um, probably led by the, the foreign sector that has been such an important seller up until now. Nonetheless, to plug the gap will still require, we think, um, a further concession. Um, unless, of course, something happens about the inflation environment, which upends um, you know, the sort of basic, you know, the, I mean, this, this basic sense that we have at the moment, which is that you know, the market is not set up naturally, as it might have been in 2019 when everyone was worried about low inflation um, and you know, us being kind of sucked into this Japanification kind of low inflation equilibrium. Um, you know, the market isn't in, in, in that sort of mindset at the minute. And so it's not 
anywhere near as well set up to uh, to take down this big step up in, in supply. That's the bottom line. You mentioned it kind of at the beginning of what you were saying, but how does this significantly higher yield view fit with, um, I guess, the risks around the growth outlook? You know, we've heard Lagarde today sounding a bit more dovish perhaps on the kind of, or a bit more worried perhaps about the growth outlook than she did at the meeting. And that kind of echoes what we heard from her at the ECB Watchers Conference. Um, but then I guess against that, we've obviously had huge upside surprises in, in regional uh, or national euro area CPI data today, which suggests that the euro area print itself is, is going to come significantly higher on Friday. So how, how do those two kind of fit together in your mind? So I think that you fight the adversary you have in front of you, which is inflation. And it's as simple, it's as simple as that. If you think trying, you know, central banks like to think, you know, a year ahead, 18 months ahead, because that's what they think their policy lags are. But at this point, they've been wrong for that long. Inflation doesn't seem to be coming down. And I think that the confidence that, that it's going to come down far, far enough, quickly enough, given how high it is cannot be high enough for them not to act. So I think you know, quantitative easing, very strong base case that it ends um, in Europe. Elsewhere, you know, they're gonna have to get on with, uh, with rate hikes. I mean, you know, and that also, that, that, includes, that includes Europe. You know, but we haven't changed our, our view about when that, when that starts or, or how aggressive that needs to be. Um, but certainly, you know, and, 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 and then put the, again, I have to, I'm going to repeat, I think that for investors, the big question is about, is now the right time to be buying a lot more fixed income? And I would say, look at the inflation figure numbers. Yeah, that makes sense. So, okay, uh, now, now I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to bring it back to you now, because <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's not just them that has been more hawkish about, uh, sorry, I guess, about growth risks. Um, you know, what have we heard? You know, what, what's the changing message from the Bank of England uh, this week? And you know, what do you think about sort of further up the curve? Um, yeah. yeah, I guess, well, what we've heard from the Bank of England this week hasn't really been a changing message, although you might have thought by looking at the market reaction that it was. Um, you know, we heard from Bailey on Monday um, speaking uh, uh, with Bruegel and, and he too kind of, I guess, reflected what we've heard from Lagarde over the couple of weeks and, and just what we heard in the minutes from the Bank of England meeting a couple of weeks ago that, um, you know, they're perhaps more concerned about the downside risks to growth or the potential downside risks to growth. You know, Bailey repeated and, and Broadbent today also repeated this kind of unprecedented shock to, to personal income in the UK um, and the impact that, that that will have on you know consumer confidence and, and growth down the line um, but it wasn't really a new view although like I say it, it, the market reacted as, as if it was but it was really to me just a reiteration of, of what we heard in the minutes a couple of weeks ago perhaps slightly more dovish and, and stressing those downside risks to growth than, than the minutes but really did nothing to change our view in fact just reinforced our view that we, we have had for a long time that you know, only some further tightening is required. And by that, I mean, most likely a 25 basis point hike in May. And then we also have in our forecast a 25 basis point hike in August. Although if you talk to Ross, he will tell you he doesn't think that that is 100% nailed on. So, you know, we've kind of got 
maybe two, but we're not even 100% convinced of that compared to the market, which is looking for, you know, three 25 basis point hikes between now and August, and then an additional two by the end of the year. So, um, you know, that front end of, of the sterling curve, like it has elsewhere, has been very volatile in the last couple of weeks. But really, if you look at the pricing shift since the Bank of, you know, the dovish Bank of England hike a couple of weeks ago, Bailey this week, and then where we are today, really the market has taken out maximum about 20 basis points between now and August. So we still think that, that there's much further to go. I guess the question now becomes around what will the, the trigger for that be? And perhaps the more we shift in the direction of 50 basis point hikes from the Fed, um, it might become more difficult to, to fade that in the near term. But um, it certainly looks like the market, you know, just like it has in Europe, really, in the UK, is, has priced in much too hawkish a reaction function for the Bank of England. Okay, um, so does that add up to a big curve steepening then? I mean, you know, you're, it sounds like you're positive on the, on the front end and, you know, we have supply kicking off again next week um, uh, after a, a pretty dry period. Um, now, how does that all add up for you? Is it straight, as simple as that? Well, <laughs> yes, kind of. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I say, you know, we're pretty positive on the front end. Listeners will know that we've been more bearish further out the curve. You know, similar to the story that you've, you know, gone through on the European side, Giles, we have this pick up in supply and in the UK in particular it will kick off next week after a, a couple of weeks of, of fairly limited supply um, and that although that headline number for gilt supply for the year ahead as we discussed last week is, is lower than we'd expected that shift versus last year is, is still pretty big and and not just that but actually the next quarter which you know as you said begins next week should be fairly long end heavy we're expecting you know we get the um, calendar tomorrow so Thursday morning so any listeners will will have the uh, uh, luxury of having that already but but what we know from the consultation earlier this week with the DMO is that there seemed to be strong consensus for both syndications to be um, on the linker and nominal side of reopening of, of the 73s so although you know supply isn't going to be huge this year versus expectations it should be pretty long end heavy i think over the next quarter um and that too should should add to a, a sort of bearish long end and, and steeper curve views okay well i think that brings us to the end of this week's po uh, podcast doesn't it so i think uh imogen you better do the honors <laughs> i thought you might have practiced after last week no, <laughs> all right <sorry>. then everyone <laughs> I'll get Giles on it next week. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Jan and Giles for joining me. Uh, and just a reminder to our listeners, if they like today's episode, don't forget to hit the like button, click the subscribe button uh, so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.